Our first reading this morning is taken from uh, the book of Psalms, and this is indeed one of David. Psalm 41. Blessed is he who has regard for the weak. The Lord delivers him in times of trouble. The Lord will protect him and preserve his life. He will bless him in the land and not surrender him to the desire of his foes. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed and restore him from his bed of illness. I said, O Lord, have mercy on me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? Whenever one comes to see me, he speaks falsely while his heart gathers slander. Then he goes out and spreads it abroad. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has beset him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, have mercy on me. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. In my integrity you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Thanks for the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you always have with you, and you can help them any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is the word of the Lord. 
Please do keep uh, Mark 14 open in front of you. And as we uh, come to meditate upon God's word, let's come in humility and in prayer. Our dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we pray for your help and your aid and your guidance as we come to hear and to respond to all that you have said to us. We pray, Father God, may your Holy Spirit move our minds and our hearts so that we might know, but we might also love. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you think you know someone and then something happens and you'll realize that you really didn't? You think you know someone and actually, no, I really haven't. And I think you can actually have these in both the negative and the positive. You might have a great friendship and you think you really trust this friend and then you discover that they've been gossiping about you. You're like, oh, I really don't know them. Or you might be starting a new job and you're so excited about about working in this organization and then after a few weeks you realize actually your boss is a narcissist. But then you can also flip round the other way as well. Um, you might, uh, I think it's probably quite common in family relationships, where you, you, you view your younger siblings through a certain lens for probably too long. And suddenly they do something, you realize, oh, they have grown up. And you, re- and you view them differently. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen it, those, those friends who have known each other for years. They've been buddies for years and years and years. And then suddenly, out of the blue, they get together. And they, they, they become a romantic couple. And it's like they've seen something differently. Have you ever had that experience? Where you think you know someone, then something happens and you see them differently. And have you ever had that experience with Jesus Christ, where you think that you know him and then you see something differently? We uh, land here today in the Gospel of Mark. And our series, uh, this road to glory, we've picked up the story from when Jesus arrives into Jerusalem and he's suddenly, his ministry has gone public. It's big and it's bold and he wants everyone to see. He arrives in Jerusalem and he goes to the temple and he sees this false worship which is going on there. So he drives it out so there might be true worship in the house of God. And then he has conversation after conversation after conversation with the religious authorities, demonstrating his, his, his authority and his power and demonstrating why they are wrong. And because of these conversations, because of what he's done, because it's so in their face, we now land in this moment in Mark chapter 14 where these religious leaders, they've turned against him. And we see here in these first two verses that now they, now they want to kill him. They want to find a sly way to arrest him, and now they want to kill him because of all that he has done. And they've got a certain view of Jesus, haven't they? A certain opinion. But it's interesting, we immediately meet, after we hear about their evil plots and plans, we immediately eat, meet, not eat, meet an unknown woman who has a radically different image and view of who Jesus Christ is. And I don't know if you ever get that experience when reading the Bible. Sometimes you just want more detail. You like, you just want to know a little bit more about, about someone's thought process. About why they did what they did. And, and I very much get this with this unknown woman in Bethany who goes and anoints Jesus' hair with oil. You sort of want to know, well, what's, what's been going on there? 
Like, what has she seen that has driven her to this moment where she wants to do this act for Jesus? What, is, what, is, what has created this devotion towards Jesus within her? And it's interesting, in Mark, we don't know her name or much about her, but I wonder if we're given a few little clues to what might have driven her devotion. Firstly, we see in verse 3 that Jesus is currently in Bethany. Now, Bethany is a little village on the outskirts of uh, Jerusalem, and Bethany is also the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. So we're suddenly thinking, okay, has this unknown woman, has she, did she see Lazarus being raised from the dead? Or has she heard the news of this incredible miracle? But then our eyes continue reading. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper. So this man is known as Simon the leper. So Simon the leper is his nickname. And why do you have a nickname? I don't think my friends were particularly uh, um, original when they came up with my nickname when I was a kid. It was the BFG. It doesn't take them long to work that one out, does it? Um, and it's obvious I had that name because I'm tall. And so why has this man, Simon, got this nickname, the leper? And we can only assume he is Simon the leper because he once had leprosy. And it's like, is he... Simon the leper who's had leprosy, which has been healed, which he's had been healed. So that now this man who used to be, had to be far away from people and not had anyone into his home, is now able to open his home and have these guests there. And is this woman sort of responding to this incredible sort of act of grace that he's seen in this man, Simon's life, that he can now have, have, have people in his home again, have relationships again, be one with people again. And yet we don't quite know what it is which has driven this woman to this act of devotion. But you can sort of imagine her, can't you? In her house. And her heart is sort of set upon Jesus Christ. And she is so devoted to him that she wants to do something. She wants to do something for him. She wants to honour him in some way. And you can sort of imagine her in her house looking around. It's like, what can I do for him? What can I give to him? And then her eyes settle upon a jar, upon a jar of perfume made from nard. Now, nard is a spice which comes from India, so it's very difficult to get. But also, this style of perfume, uh, it would have been in a circular bottle with a long, like, sort of neck. And you have this long neck simply so you can break it off and then use the perfume. And you have to use it all in the same day. You've got to use it quickly. Because uh, the nature of it, it's been sealed in there. And once it's unsealed, it'll be ruined. It doesn't last. It doesn't last. So that's another reason why it's so expensive. Because it comes from India. And because once you've got to use it straight away. And we discover actually that this perfume costs 300 denarii, which equals the same amount of money you would earn in a year. That's a year's salary. A year's wages. So we just imagine this scene and this woman in our house And she's so devoted to Jesus Christ, she wants to give him something. And her eyes fall upon this bottle of priceless perfume. This precious thing she has. Was it an inheritance of hers? Was it a gift which she was given? Was it something she she saved up for and bought? We don't know. But her eyes settle upon it. And she must, she wants to give this 
to Jesus. And so she takes it and she breaks that long neck of this bottle and she pours it over his hair. And the reaction to this demonstrates how extravagant a gift this is. How extravagant an act this is. Because look down with me. Look at their reaction. Verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. They've seen this this act and they're so indignant about this, this level of just extravagance. They're horrified by this extravagance. And yet their, their, their horror, it demonstrates how extravagant it is. It demonstrates well, how captivated this woman's soul is with the one she sees before her. She sees Jesus before her and in her eyes he has just so much value, so much worth, that she wants to give this gift to him. And it's interesting, isn't it? Did she know how significant this act was going to be? Did she realize how significant this act was going to be? Because Jesus has some pretty big things to say about it, doesn't it? The first one will jump to verse 9. The first thing he says is, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Like this act of extravagance is so precious to Jesus that wherever his gospel goes across the entire world, we hear of this woman and what she's done. But let's jump forwards, um, backwards, sorry, to verse 6. And he reads from the beginning, Leave her alone, Jesus said to those who'd been rebuking her. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them at any time you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now in Jewish custom... When someone has died, you take their, their body and you cover it in spices and in, and, and in oils and then you wrap it up and you place it in a tomb. But there is one person who doesn't receive this treatment, whose body is not covered in oils and spices. And that person who does not receive that treatment is a criminal. Because if someone is a criminal and they've died as a criminal, they just get thrown in the grave. And so here we have Jesus' body being prepared for burial before he's even died because we're being told something about the means of his death. And did this woman know this? Did she realize that the significance of this act? And it's, it's, it's incredible that Jesus says that everyone around the world needs to know this. And he also calls this act Beautiful. It is a beautiful thing what she has done. The extravagance of her gift and the preparation for his burial. But then our eyes continue down down the page. And, And we move from her beautiful act and immediately there's a contrast with an ugly act. Verse verse 10 and 11, we're told about Judas. We're told that he sees something here 
and what the woman has done in her extravagant act. And we don't know why, but this, this seems to be the last straw on the camel's back which has broken it. This seems to be a step too far for him. This seems to be the moment where he cannot handle the extravagance of this gift. And he says, no more. I'm not following this man anymore. And he goes to his chief priests and he betrays Jesus to them. Her beautiful act is followed by his ugly act of betrayal. And it's interesting, isn't it, that in, in Judas's eyes, like he's seen something, what that woman has done, which drives him to that moment. And we want to know what is it precisely what you've seen, but also what is it that you failed to see? Because think about all that Judas has seen. He has seen Jesus standing on a boat when the waves are as high as this building and he says to them, quiet, and it is stilled. Judas has seen Jesus with a few fish and a few loaves feed thousands. Judas has seen Jesus heal the sick, give sight to the blind, drive out the demons. He has seen so much. And yet what is it that he has failed to see? Because he has not seen that the one standing before him is his Messiah. It's his king. It's his God. What is it he has seen? But also, what is it that he has failed to see? Now, in the, in the counseling world, there's a, there's a term which can sometimes be used of unhealthy relationships called transactional relationships. Now, transactional relationship doesn't always have to be unhealthy. In fact, it can be very healthy. Um, a transactional relationship... They exist in a work context. I agree that I'm going to work a certain number of hours and fulfill these tasks, and you agree that you're going to pay me for that. That's a healthy thing, a healthy transactional relationship. However, when transactional relationships are brought into personal relationships, they can become unhealthy, whether they be with uh, in a family context, in a friendship context, but particularly in a romantic uh, context. Now, there's always going to be a give and take in any in any relationship. I don't know if you remember, uh, Theresa May gave an interview she got slammed for back in 2017 when she described her relationship with her husband and she said, well, there are, there are blue jobs and there are pink jobs. And she got slammed for it. But that's reality, isn't it? There's always going to be a give and take in every relationship. That's normal. But it can become unhealthy when, when that defines a relationship, when it exists as a transactional relationship. And it becomes unhealthy because it means if you do not fulfill this task then I'm no longer going to love you. And that's where it becomes unhealthy, these transactional relationships. And we don't know why Judas at that moment decides to leave, but it seems like he has a transactional relationship with Jesus Christ. That he was willing to follow him so far, but now Jesus has done something. He hasn't fulfilled the image which Judas expected of him, And so now he's not going to love him anymore. He's not going to follow him anymore. He's not going to believe in him anymore. And actually, in in Judas's eyes, Jesus does have a value. But alive, his value is nothing. Dead, his value is money. That's where this transactional relationship has taken Judas. 
And I think that, that Mark, here in, in uh, four, chapter 14, has given us this contrast for a reason. He's laid out these two characters for us to look at for a reason. Because as we, we see this contrast, we, we see the weight of what's been going on here. With, between the woman and between Judas. We see a beautiful act and we see an ugly act. We see an act filled with devotion and we see an act that is centered on betrayal. We see in the eyes of the woman that Jesus has so much worth and so much value that she will give this precious gift to him, to honor him. And then we see that in the eyes of Judas that Jesus' only value is he's more valuable to him dead rather than alive. And Mark is creating that contrast between these two people and between what they see and what Judas has failed to see. And I think we're given that contrast so that we may ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus worth to us? What is Jesus worth to us? Because you can see Jesus And you can fail to see Jesus. Because you can be like the woman and see Jesus and be like, ah, I've got to give him the most precious thing that I own. And you can see Jesus and fail to see him and think that he has more value to me dead than alive. You can see Jesus and you can fail to see Jesus. What is he worth to you? I have a friend from, from a few years ago, and she, um, uh, she was my first Christian friend who was from a Pentecostal background. I never didn't have many friends from Pentecostal background growing up, but she was my first one. Um, and she had one of those faces which is electric, an electric sort of faith. And I remember uh, when she started going out with this Christian guy, and, um, and they got engaged. And at this Pentecostal church, like lots of people... Uh, said words over them, had big prophecies for, for what the Lord was going to do in their lives. There was quite a lot of pressure was sort of being placed upon them. And, and it was interesting that, that a few, quite near to the wedding, he ended up breaking off the relationship. And then he ended up going out with one of her bridesmaids. And, and, and it, was, it was horrible to, to witness as, as my friendship to her. It was horrible to witness. And one of the deeper sort of tragedies of all of that was that, that her faith started to unravel. It's a moment where she started to see Jesus, and then it started to unravel. And now she doesn't believe in him. Now, this isn't the end of her story. Her story still keeps on going. It is yet to be finished. It is yet to be finished. But at this present moment, and in a very basic, from what I see, perspective, and I realize that it is limited, it seems that there's a transactional relationship that she had with Jesus. That if Jesus could, could give her some sort of life, some sort of, some sort of thing, that she had these expectations upon him. But if he failed to do those things, then she was no longer going to believe in him. That seems to be where we've, we've landed at this moment. Like I said, it's not the end of the story. It's like she's seen, but she's also failed to see. Whereas I think of uh, another friend, a lady called uh, Joe, And uh, Joe. Uh, was a woman who I um, interviewed on a podcast I, I, I host called the Delight Podcast, and the episode uh, launched on Friday. And, and Joe, she um, she was born with a skin condition, and the skin condition is called um, CMN. Sorry, not CMN, CMS, CMS. 
And the skin condition, it means that 80% of her body is covered in a birthmark. And when she was born with this skin condition, the doctors didn't know anything about it. And they were really concerned. And so for her childhood and her teenage years, she spent lots of time in the hospital, lots of time having operations done, and none of, none of them uh, helped. And so she was quite isolated, she was quite lonely. Uh, when she was at school, sometimes she received quite serious bullying because of this birthmark, which covered 80% of her body. But she was raised in a Christian home, and so she knew that, that God was, was good. And so, one point in her life, she was lying in bath, looking at this birth, lying in a bath, looking at this birthmark, which covered her body, knowing that God was good. So she closed her eyes and she prayed to God, please remove this birthmark from me. And then she opened her eyes and she couldn't believe that the birthmark was still there and it hadn't gone. She was like, I thought that God was good. And yet, one of the most striking parts of this interview with her was when she looked back to that time and realized that, that this moment which could have ruined her faith was actually a moment which built up her faith. And she said these, um, she said these words. Looking back over my life, I can see it's because I have this skin condition that actually I've clung to the Lord so much more. Because I've understood that, the li- that this life is fragile and that we don't know how long we have to live. Therefore, I've kept my eyes more firmly fixed on Jesus and what he promises in eternal life, that one day there's not going to be any more big, ugly birthmarks. She has seen and she has seen Jesus for who he truly is. But as we sort of think about Joe and as we meditate upon this unknown woman in Mark's gospel who has given Jesus her most precious gift, well, we sort of have to ask the question, well, is Jesus worth that? Because we probably all know stories, don't we, of, of women who have devoted themselves to a man who isn't actually worthy of that devotion. And we know stories of, of the other way as well. Is Jesus worthy of this level of devotion? It might be the stories which are fictional, like Del Boy and Only Fools and Horses. And you wouldn't want to trust him with anything. Definitely wouldn't want to buy a car from that man. But it becomes a bit more sinister. I was reading in the paper about this lady called Ava. And she's um, in her mid-70s and she got divorced and um, she was very lonely and she met someone online and she was speaking to this guy um, over social media, and then she discovered that he got in trouble and he needed help, financial help, so she sent her money, and then he got in trouble again, so she sent her more money, and she ended up sending this guy £67,000, only to discover that he didn't even exist. He was just a work of fiction, and it was a romantic scam. And actually, this person who she was talking to, a man or a woman online, whoever they were, wasn't worthy of her devotion. But it gets even darker than that. It gets even darker than that. We think of, uh, of cults and the cult leader, Jim Jones of, uh, uh, of John, Johnstown in, in the USA, who managed to persuade 900 men, women and children to join him in a suicide cult. And together they drank poison and together all of them died. That man was not worthy of that devotion. Is Jesus worthy of our devotion? 
Is he worthy of this woman's devotion who has seen this priceless jar of perfume and poured it out on his head? Is he worthy of that devotion? What we see here, don't we, in Jesus, in this woman's beautiful act, we see here something of Jesus' beautiful act. Because as this woman pours his perfume out over Jesus, it is an act which prepares Jesus for burial. As this woman goes and sees this precious gift and gives it to Jesus, in the same way Jesus comes and he gives himself. As, as this woman takes this bottle and breaks its neck, Jesus comes and his very body is broken as it is placed upon the cross. As this woman comes and pours out this perfume upon Jesus, Jesus comes and pours out his very life. Yet there is a crucial difference. Because this woman comes and she gives this precious gift to someone who in her eyes is worthy. And yet Jesus comes and he pours out his very life for those who are utterly unworthy. In her beautiful act, we see something of his beautiful act. And in seeing something of his beautiful act, we see why he is worthy. Worthy of this devotion. Worthy of our devotion. So should we give our rules to Jesus Christ? Should we give him our lives and our devotion? Well, the good news is, the good news is, if you see Jesus, and you really see Jesus, you will know that he is worthy of it all. That he is worthy of every act of devotion. So look to him. Let's spend a moment just meditating on God's word and I'll close in prayer. Oh, dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you for this woman's beautiful act and we thank you for how it speaks of your son's beautiful act. We thank you, Father God, that he is worthy and gracious and glorious and good. And we pray, Father God, will you help us to follow him wherever he may take us and to give him all that he asks of us. In the name of Jesus. Amen.